What's up, Rotoviz listeners? It's Colin Kelly here, executive producer of Rotoviz Radio and one of the co-hosts of the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast. I just wanted to drop by and say thank you, as always, for listening into another Rotoviz Radio production. As a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself ten percent off a Rotoviz NFL pass right now at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast, or by simply adding the code RV Radio twenty twenty one at checkout. That'll get you access to all of the content and tools on the Rotoviz website, the best tools and content in the business. Or the best listeners in the business. As always, we do appreciate you listening to each and every show. And if you do have 5, 10, 15 seconds to spare, please drop a rating for today's show on your favorite podcast app. It is much appreciated. With all that said, thank you once again for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. Now let's get back to the show. The free agency frenzy continues on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Curtis Patrick. We're two of the owners here at Rotoviz. We have a great show lined up for you today. We are talking about Kenyon Drake, Josh Jacobs, and Alan Robinson. But more importantly, Curtis, what's going on, man? Oh man, it's uh it's great to be back so soon, Dave. We're uh we're quickly getting into episode two here of uh our new on-air podcast romance bromance if you will so um I'm, I'm really pumped to talk about these three players um i think they're they're three that kind of have just always been a little bit under the radar uh for different reasons i think the listeners are going to enjoy that lots of different research from our various road of his tools and i am onto my second cast strength makers so uh let's let the takes fly <laughs> all right let's do it so no better place to start off than with some fantasy headlines brought to you by Roto Viz News. Uh, as I mentioned, Kenyon Drake signs with the Raiders, joins a John Gruden backfield already equipped with Josh Jacobs. How does this play out, Curtis, with these two backs in that backfield? Man, I just think nobody's going to get what they want. It's And it's the John Gruden story played out all over again. It was really kind of cringy to watch the team misuse and not clearly understand what they have in Josh Jacobs last season. So they started out giving him pretty much every single backfield touch in week one last year, and it just only went downhill. Um, You know, the first, I think, uh, four games of the season, he had over 60% uh, carry share, uh, backfield carry share, and he only would hit that mark uh, three other times the rest of the way. Uh, that's per our Rotoviz player usage tool, and then from a from a, a receiving game perspective, the team really just mixed in a lot of different players to compete with Josh Jacobs for those you know very valuable receptions out of the backfield. We saw Jalen Richard, we saw Alec Engold, uh, Devontae Booker, and Theo Riddick. All four of those players uh, usurped Josh Jacobs in at least one week uh, from a backfield receiving perspective. Where I think it could change in twenty twenty one is perhaps the team wasn't all that excited about what they saw from any of those four players that I just mentioned. And perhaps it goes to a narrower funnel of usage to just Jacobs and then Drake kind of getting all that's left over. I think it clearly sets up as a 1A, 1B committee with Jacobs probably looking like the less valuable back here even 
uh, if they don't let him compete with Drake for, you know, the, the receiving game work. So I think it should definitely depress Jacob's value. I mean, Drake is a much better player, even at this stage of his career than, than Rashard Riddick Booker, uh, or, you know, fullback Alec Ingold. It, it just really unfortunate when you see a back with the type of talent and the, you know, the true bell cow, uh, ability size, uh, athleticism like Josh Jacobs and then to just have him land in a place where he never really gets the opportunity to to truly break out for fantasy purposes so I, I think John Gruden's going to ruin this for us again Dave yeah I mean it, it is a bummer because this was two players that could have each been supporting a fantasy backfield um, I, I think Jacobs is a better player than Drake especially Drake at this point uh, but, you know, it, it is like you said, this is just a, a no win situation for anybody. I also expect that Josh Jacobs will be running as the 1A. We see Kenyon Drake getting mixed in behind him. The problem is with both of these players, I think they're the type of guys that you need to see around like a 60% opportunity share. And it's going to be tough for either of them to get up to that like 48%. Getting to 50 is going to be super hard. So both of these guys have to drop back substantially. The cliche, of course, is going to be that you take the one that's cheaper, which is going to end up being Kenyon Drake. And I'm not sure that if you look at other players on other teams that are going to be backup running backs, that uh, I'm going to be more interested in Jake or excuse me, in Drake than those other players. So just a disappointing move all around. Yeah, this is like a less exciting version of the Cleveland timeshare with Chubb and and Kareem Hunt. I think both players are less exciting than their Cleveland counterparts, um, and probably the overall you know upside of of any of the you know the overall upside of being you know the the unchallenged RB one in Cleveland is much higher than being the unquestioned overall RB one in in Las Vegas. Uh, just you know t- to maybe shine a little bit of light on on why Drake should still have some uh, level of intrigue, you know, now in this backup role, you know, even looking back to like 2017, which was the first year that he really saw that meaningful uh, usage in Miami. And he kind of came on at the the back half of the season was an RB one. And over a short period of time, he, he quickly uh, put together an RB 31 season from a uh, PPR perspective, 146 PPR points. And then in three straight seasons since then, he's been, you know, between 194 and 216 actually finished as the, the RB 16, 17 and 15 in the last three seasons, respectively, uh, never below 18th and expected points. Um, he's an efficient player for his career. Last year was actually the first year, uh, he did not outperform expectation from, um, you know, from a, a fantasy perspective. Actually, RB, RB 175 and fantasy points have over expectation in 2020. So perhaps uh, the scales are tipping in the wrong direction for Drake at this point. But but I think, you know, he has the type of skill set that could extend his career, um, you know, in, in a little bit of a lesser role. So I, I don't mind. Uh, investing in him in in best ball or if you can get him for like throw in uh, like in a throw in situation in a dynasty trade uh, where the other owner is just looking to, you know, go another direction um, and and move what is probably a perceived to be roster clogger uh, from his or her roster at this point. Yeah. Drake probably has some, some roster value in those scenarios. 
Yeah, so let's turn our attention towards a, another backfield that now becomes pretty crowded. Not that the incumbent player there was as exciting as Josh Jacobs, but Houston brings in Marth Ingram and Philip Lindsay. They send Duke Johnson, a player that I always want to put things together and has now failed to do it one more time. They send him packing, but you have David Johnson, Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay. Regardless of the quarterback situation, I don't think this is going to be a top half offense. They only had 344 rushing attempts last season, just about bottom of the league. David Johnson ranked 24th in opportunities. He did miss four games, but that highlights how long of a way this team needs to go to get to a number that supports two backs, let alone even one. So, Again, this is going to be a spot where people say you take the player that's the cheapest. But the thing is, I don't think the cheapest player here even has any upside. So I think you just need to stay away. Do you agree with that? Yeah, that's that's spot on, man. This is just so gross. Like, I, I feel like I need a shower just after thinking about spending any sort of draft pick on really any Texans player, probably not named Brandon Cooks, might be like the only player that, that I would have any interest in certainly no backfield investments. I think the only two people, the only saviors in NFL history that could get production in a, in a non Deshaun Watson led Houston Texans offense featuring old and busted David Johnson, old and busted Mark Ingram and uh waterbug Philip Lindsay. It's probably like prime coaching career, Mike Shanahan um, or maybe prime Peyton Manning. Unless we see one of those two things materialize this year, just stay far, far away. Yeah, man, it is absolutely brutal. I don't want to talk about this Texans team anymore. So we will get to a here's the thing segment. The premise here is that we are going to take something that uh, seems to be a pretty axiomatic piece of uh, fantasy advice getting thrown out there. And we're going to focus on Andy Dalton right now, and I'm going to make a case for as to why this could actually be a good thing for Allen Robinson and people should be targeting Allen Robinson. When I'm done, Curtis, you can tell us if this argument actually holds any water and we should really pay attention to it. But Allen Robinson could be fine with Andy Dalton and in fact remain a target, perhaps even more of a target than he would have been last year because we know, and we've talked about it a lot on this show, that Allen Robinson has played with garbage quarterbacks. He's played with trash basically his entire career, starting with Blake Bortles, putting up a ridiculous rookie season, making Blake Bortles look decent in his career. Again, with this terrible quarterback play, he's finished as a wide, as a wide receiver um, three, excuse me, a wide receiver one three times. Oh gosh, I'm botching this. Sorry. A wide receiver one twice. A wide receiver two is the 13 wide receiver 13 in that season and then a wide receiver three three times so he's always remaining relevant then if you look at Andy Dalton last year in Dallas in what was not a full season Dalton still produced six wide receiver one weeks and that was distributing the ball to three different wide receivers in those games that were all seeing significant usage uh and I know that we saw the drop off with Andy Dalton last year, right? He he was not not great, but he was still more accurate last year than Mitchell Trubisky. He was better on deep balls. Perhaps that opens up some room for Robinson 
to get a little bit more production. Robinson is his ADP has been falling in early January. It was 33. It's currently 45, which puts him still at the wide receiver 11, which I think is fair. But if this continues to dip, you have a player who it's easy for him to approximate his ADP. It's possible Andy Dalton makes this team a touch better than Trubisky just with the experience that he has. So though I think people might have soured on Robinson staying in Chicago, Dalton coming in as his quarterback, I think you can make a case that this situation is okay because it keeps him a wide receiver in one. Perhaps if he'd ended up on the Jets, for example, that would have been an outcome that could not happen. What do you think? Does that argument hold? Yeah, I think it holds. Um, I think the best point is probably one not made uh, in Andy Dalton's defense. It's just made in Allen Robinson's direction. The fact that he has put together such an impressive career despite never really having somebody respectable to chuck him the ball. I mean, the last two seasons in Chicago, that team has really shown you know what their intent is, and it's it's to feature him. I mean, he has ranked top five in expected points in each of those seasons. Um, and he, Allen Robinson somehow, despite getting, you know, more volume as time has marched on, he actually has become more efficient. He was not efficient as a rookie, but he, he's posted positive fantasy points over expectation in all four seasons since, um, he, he had, uh, 10 top 24 weeks in 2019, seven top 24 weeks in 2020. He's averaging 16.2 PPR per game since, uh, joining Chicago. You know, he, he did that. You know, in offenses featuring Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles, I really don't think uh, Andy Dalton can possibly be worse than what's been there. Um, and, you know, he's certainly not worse than what we saw uh, from Blake Bortles um, at, at times in Jacksonville and all the garbage, you know, production that they were able to to put together there. So I think that Chicago will force Allen Robinson the ball. I think it's a, it's a coaching regime that has to win if they want to stay put this year. And that probably bodes well for Allen Robinson as well. So um, I, I think, you know, if, if the community is going to be low on Dalton as well, um, in like two QB or super flex best ball, he could end up being a value. The team has already named him the starter. This isn't a situation where he's going to have to compete for the job. He's going in on day one. It's him under center. Um, so I think, you know, there's there's something to be said for that. Uh, and we can't say that necessarily about every quarterback room uh, in the NFL, including Houston, who we already talked about. We don't really know who the starter is going to be. So Dalton may have a little bit of value there. But yeah, certainly lots to like about Allen Robinson and save them bringing in, you know, a surprise free agent, um, uh, late late free agent signing, you know, maybe a Sammy Watkins or somebody like that that has more of a, a perimeter uh, skill set that could compete for some of those similar targets as Allen Robinson. I just don't see how he doesn't dominate the target market share in Chicago again in 2021. I like it. All right, let's move along. We have time now for a price check. So Seattle signed Chris Carson to a two-year deal. There's a third voidable deal. Let, let, let's worry less about the contract specifics and more on what two more years in Seattle could mean for Chris Carson how does this move the needle on his dynasty value, Curtis? Well, it just stopped, you know, Chris Carson's dynasty value needle is kind of like, you know, in one of those cars where it you still technically have gas in the tank, even when the needle's sitting on the little pin on the gauge. And, it, you know, it can't go any further, but there's still some gas in the tank. That's basically what Chris Carson is at this point. 
I mean, all he's done has been a high-end RB2 in PPR uh, the last three seasons straight. He's never really achieved real meaningful dynasty value because of his draft capital situation and the presence of, you know, highly drafted and highly regarded Rashad Penny, uh, who's been, you know, kind of a, a cult figure as other Seattle backs in the past uh, have been as well that never really got their chance to break out. So, you know, Carson's entering his age 27 season as a high mileage, uh, high contact per carry ratio guy, not really elusive at this point. So, you know, I don't think that his value goes up, um, but he's going to maintain some value now. I mean, there's no reason to think that in a Seattle offense that jettisoned uh, Brian Schottenheimer for opening up the offense and being disagreeable about how much they want to run the ball. I think they're going to get back to basics in Seattle this year. Uh, Maybe they protect Carson a little bit and try to make sure they get those two years and share the ball a little bit. Um, he figures to score a lot of touchdowns as long as Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are there should be plenty of opportunities for short carries inside the five. So, uh, like Chris Carson as, you know, a cheap dynasty RB two, uh, ideally as a flex guy, uh, he's probably a guy you have to let ride out on your roster at this point, unless you want to wait until the season to trade him, uh, to somebody battling, uh, you know, an injury situation on the roster. Got it. The point that I want to make just for people in redraft leagues to be aware of, be careful of going back and looking at uh, Carson's efficiency in terms of fantasy point scoring. Last year, he was scoring three points per game over expectation. That is a very high number for a running back. And for Chris Carson in his career is actually more than quadruple um, his highest not quadruple, but more than three times, actually, the highest fantasy points over expectation number that he ever put up. So I would be very leery about that if you're looking to carry the efficiency from last year forward into the 2021 season. Let's head back, though, to a dynasty context, Curtis. AJ Green stock has been falling. No question about it. Does the move to Arizona to catch passes from the young Kyler Murray, fantastic quarterback, and playing alongside DeAndre Hopkins in the desert. Does that get you excited? Can AJ Green continue to be fantasy relevant or is he completely washed? Do we just need to forget about him? Yeah, I'm so indifferent. I'm so indifferent to this signing. Um, Indifferent just in the same way that AJ Green has appeared to be uh, on the football field over his last couple seasons there in Cincinnati. You know, AJ Green, unfortunately, has had a little bit of a, a run kind of like Allen Robinson battling some injuries and some uh, kind of poor QB play over the last uh, couple seasons and looks to be a far cry of what he was early in his career. I mean, from 2011 to 2015, there might not have been uh, a better wide receiver in most half decades. Unfortunately, he was kind of battling uh, the peaks of Antonio Brown and Calvin Johnson and some others. So I think AJ Green will maybe be underappreciated from a historical standpoint because of some of the you know the, the other talents that came into the league around the same time and were in their peak years. But you know now he's way on the wrong side of 30. He was very old when he came into the league. Um, unless the Arizona Sun and you know this specific offense you know really invigorate something and he was really just dragging his feet in Cincinnati, I just don't know why we would be excited. He was 251st out of uh, I think that's actually, uh, it's either dead last or very close to dead last amongst all pass catchers in the NFL and fantasy points over expectation last season. 
Um, he he has really dropped off the last three seasons. You know, 2017, he was wide receiver 10 in PPR. 2018 drops to wide receiver 42 thanks to only playing half the season, missed the 2019 season, comes back last year, just looks like a shadow of his former self. So we also still don't know what Larry Fitzgerald's doing. I checked right before the show, still no update on what his plans are. I think it's DeAndre Hopkins' game there. Uh, Kyler Murray rushing the ball, Chase Edmonds, and maybe you know a rookie or free agent signing at running back. That's really going to be uh, that's really going to be what drives this offense. AJ Green, uh, just not somebody I'm interested in, really in any format whatsoever. What about you, Dave? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I am completely off of AJ Green. I just think that the odds of anything coming to fruition for Green at this point are very low, and in any game context no matter what type of fantasy that you're playing where you're going to be selecting AJ Green he's not the type of guy that you want to be going at in that area of your draft Um, and I I also don't think he's the type of guy that you'd even want to try to scoop up for any value um, on your dynasty team hoping that you get some production from him because like you pointed to what we have seen from AJ Green now since 2017 there really has been no signal that he can put together any type of production that is going to be above replacement value. So I am very much off of AJ Green. Let's move along though. All right, this one we are calling one second or or one sentence or less. Curtis, I'm going to ask you some questions. You can only answer them in one sentence. We're going to move through these quickly. Got it? I've got it. Period. Well, so with Friedman, I always had to really like list out the parameters, give qualifiers, um, you know, like really set the stage. So I had to make sure. All right. Will Brashad Perriman in Detroit be relevant in 2021 redraft leagues? Brashad Perriman will not be relevant in 2021 redraft leagues. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Will Keelan Cole as a New York Jet be relevant in 2021 redraft leagues? Keelan Cole will not be relevant in 2021 redraft leagues. Over the weekend, an owner offered me n- numerous trades involving Evan Ingram in in exchange for my first round rookie pick this year, which is the 108. How outlandish is this? I was excited about Evan Ingram a couple of years ago. Last year, I was even trying to acquire him on a dynasty team that needed a tight end. But in 2021... Trying to trying to get my 108 for Evan Ingram is that outlandish? If your league is tight end premium, it's not a great offer, and if it's not tight end premium, it is definitely outlandish. I think that that takes us to the end of this episode here. As I mentioned, we do not have the schedule ironed out yet. Mentioned that on last episode, but we will have that ready to be reported back to you next week. Before we play the outro, Curtis, any closing thoughts? No, I think I used all of them in the one second segment. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Email us at RotovizFFShow at gmail.com. Visit RotoViz.com forward slash podcast for more information on listener only discounts. And until next time, Thanks for stopping by.